Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The FT. Hello and welcome to the FT's Arts Podcast. Today's discussion is on documentary films, which are breaking cinema box office records and are arguably having more success than ever before. Asif Kapadia's biopic of Formula One champion Ayrton Senna helped UK box office takings for documentaries reach £11 million in 2011, according to figures from the British Film Institute. That compares with just £1.9 million the year before. And next month sees the UK release of The Queen of Versailles, one of the talking points of this year's Sundance Film Festival. In it, director Lauren Greenfield follows timeshare tycoon David Siegel and his family as they start to build the biggest house in America and the consequences for them when the economy fails. I'm Raphael Abraham, the FT's assistant arts editor, and joining me are Nigel Andrews, the FT's film critic, and Leslie Felprin, a critic for Variety. Nigel, the documentary genre is thriving in financial terms. What about in other ways? I think it's uh, it's amazing. Every other week, it seems that a non-fiction film kind of leads the pack and is the most interesting film to write about. So it's quite amazing over the last sort of, uh, not just recently, over the last two years, when there has been a pack of these things emerging. Um, but ever since um, films like Touching the Void, the Kevin MacDonald mountaineering film, um, it, the, it seems to have seized people's imaginations. And it's no longer the rather dour, grim, unsexy thing that uh, one used to understand by the word documentary. Leslie, um, how do you feel about the current state of documentaries? Do you think they're at a high? Uh, quite positive, and I think uh, um, Nigel's made some very good points about it. I think also I'd just add to that kind of list of in- influential films, Fahrenheit 911, when that won the Palme d'Or in Cannes. I think that was a, a, a turning point for documentaries' fortunes and suddenly made it more prominent. And I would say it's probably something to do with um, both means of production and means of distribution shifting. So there's many more channels now, and they, uh, you know, documentary is a, a cheap way to fill up time and there's an appetite out there for for reality as we've seen you know the trashier end of reality tv and the, the classier end of films like the queen of versailles mm. yeah nigel why why do you think there is this growing appetite for reality if you if we can call it that i i, I think so much um variety and variation have been built into the documentary or maybe people realize how many different things it's capable of whereas they didn't before I was just kind of um, you know, quietly brainstorming the number of different uh, genres of documentary there are um, uh, recently. And, and if you think about it, there's the amazing true story of films like The Imposter or Searching for Sugar Man we've had recently, where people tell a story that's true but almost unbelievable. Um, there's the personal diary documentary, films like Swan Down or, or Jaff Up and Eyes, This Is Not a Film, where the artist is kind of walking his life or thoughts or emotions in public. Uh, there's the educative documentary, Something from Nothing, The Art of Rap or Ai, Wei, Ai Weiwei. Um, and there's um, unclassifiable documentaries like Herzog's, where, you know, a, a guy is kind of researching the frontiers of the unknown or unknowable. So many different 
uh, forms um, in one in supposedly one form, and suddenly people realise, you know, it's 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 a rich, amazing universe. The documentary, uh, just like the feature film. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Leslie, you mentioned Fahrenheit nine eleven. Um, I mean, if you look at the the list of best, highest grossing documentaries of all time, you get things like like that and March of the Penguins. But you also under the documentary title, you get things like Jackass and the Justin Bieber movie. So, I mean, do you think do you think it's a sort of useful catch all, or, or do you think it's you know what the just the name documentary? Do you think it's you know has really? Yeah, it's it, it's it kind of means less and less, doesn't it? I mean, I think nonfiction film might be a better term for it, or um, and even then, that's quite a, the mis- rather misleading. You get things like Herzog's films where there are kind of elements of manipulation, definitely. In, in the way things are made in this film particular you know, that we're discussing it as well as much and uh, which film uh, the Queen the of Queen Versailles, of Versailles um, yeah. um, there there's you know, slight tweaking that went on to make it a better story make it look more convincing you know as the, the director herself has admitted uh, things like capturing the freedmen's you know the, the, there's it, there's storytelling there and it's just I think what happened is that a lot of you know, um, filmmakers have woken up and realized, you know, with the means of production available, you know, cheap digital cameras, there's mm. there's so many sort of more ways of, to skin a cat than there ever were before. And mm. that using nonfiction material is just another way of telling stories. All telling stories really in the end, you know, and as much as, you know, scripted films. So I think the it's fascinating. We're living in a moment where the lines have become so intriguingly blurred between fiction and nonfiction. I think, yes, exactly. And and also I think um, in documentaries or interesting documentaries interrogate the very idea of truth. I mean documentary mm. used to stand for uh, you know, the camera never lies, everything you see is real, you can trust the image but more and more you can't do that and films like the imposter where you have multiple witnesses um recording their reactions to an event that seems quite impossible namely a 23 year old three year old french con man impersonating the lost teenage son of a texas family um and uh, some of these i can't remember if it was this film or or another more recent film where the director said i it, it the film has been called the Rashomon of Rashomon of documentaries, and of course that's right. I mean, Rashomon was famously the Kurosawa film where multiple people were telling different versions of the same event, mm. and that's what's happening in documentaries too. So, you know, what is truth, as <laughs> as the old question goes? Yeah. Do, do you think it maybe as our appetite for these films increases and we we see more of them that we're sort of becoming a bit more sophisticated in in our approach to them, and and the, the films therefore are also becoming more sophisticated and sort of you know, manipulating us and mm. you know playing with the truth and making it more slippery. Absolutely, I mean, I think we're kind of in a sort of post postmodern phase <laughs> of documentary. I mean, this, this, it's interesting you mentioned the term. I mean, is documentary the appropriate? I mean, sort of redolent document and you know evidence. And you think of you know the, the real classic documentaries like Shoah, which are almost kind of like building mm. an almost legal case about this happened. You know, it's it's the the nine hour documentary about you know the um, the, the Holocaust mm. made by. Claude Landsman recently made the top ten poll for sight and sound of the one of the best films of all time. Um, you know, and the, the the Robert Frank work in the nineteen fifties. You know, stuff they would they would kind of document an event and stuff like that. And it was all about sort of a, um, um, a transparency and stuff like that. I think the, the, now we've moved to a, a time when um, so many fiction films are based on real events. You know, that there's a, there's some kind of you know mm. we're fascinated with biopics. I think in in just um, it's not just in film. I think this is the really interesting thing is that you know nonfiction. Uh, stories have become huge bestsellers. Of course, you know, there's still, you know, um, 
conventional novels winning prizes and topping the bestseller list. But there's been a, a real kind of resurgence in nonfiction as a, as a money-making option. In fact, more money-making, you know, biographies, autobiographies, memoirs. People have a real appetite for what is for 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 stories that come from real life. There's something that they can really relate to, and they don't need the kind of um, the sleight of hand of fiction as much as they used I, to. I think yes, and it's become it, there's. I mean, it's become kind of rock and rollized, hasn't it? Documentary. Yeah. I mean, it used yeah. to be such a grim, dreary thing. I remember there was a very funny scene in the Woody Allen film "Take the Money and Run" where. Uh, Woody Allen, as the heist leader, starts to show a film of how they're going to rob this bank. And the first image that comes up is a credit saying trout fishing in Quebec. And someone says, oh, there's always a boring documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of how one viewed nonfiction back then. Um, but, but more and more. And, and I think one of the interesting things is that uh, feature films have to have a kind of purpose and a point. I mean, someone invents a lot of characters and invents a story and almost the worst insult or pejorative you can use about a fiction feature film is what was the point? In the, I think documentaries in a weird way are more liberated than that. I think the mm. point is actuality. They don't necessarily have to have a cogent uh, theme or thesis and, and many um, uh, documentaries are very elusive you know what's the point of some Herzog movies um, mm. in, 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 in a narrow sense but in a broad sense there are a huge number of points and there is a kind of kaleidoscopic coverage of reality that sometimes you don't get in a feature film mm. it's almost like as if they have the sort of latitude for poetry yes. that mainstream yeah, features exactly. don't yeah. especially the Hollywood movies which you know budgets of 50 million and up so much riding on them, huge marketing budgets, and it's got to kind of appeal to a wide mainstream audience and sort of a, a common denominator. So they can't take too many risks. Whereas documentaries are always, you know, increasingly, they, you know, although we have these big hits like Fahrenheit 911 or 911, you know, that, that, that pull in, it's mostly a specialist thing. And they're getting small releases in London and, you know, the re repertory theatres nationwide. And then they eventually kind of migrate to their natural home, which is BBC Four or, you know, mm -hmm. the, the more sort of specialist recherche channels and stuff like that and downstream and VOD. And um, that gives them a lot of freedom because not a lot of money is at stake. They can take risks. You know, I, I'm, I'm, my favourite films are things like Tarnation, you know, the, yeah. you know that, yeah. that are yeah. kind of really approaching work that's like avant-garde, like Stan Brackage, you know, it's yeah. sort of mixing different kinds of textures and techniques and mm. to tell a story, but also to evoke a kind of film poetry and an ecstatic truth, to use a phrase, of Werner Herzog's. But, uh, <laughs> and also, I think, uh, th there was a, there's always been a kind of playful use of uh, factuality, actuality, documentary in fiction films from long ago. I mean, Citizen Kane starts off with a newsreel, and and you think, you know, is this based? And it was based on a real guy indirectly. Mm. There's so much kind of uh, faction in Citizen Kane, um, and documentaries, I think, were slow to pick up on the fact that they could do the same thing. They could plunder fictional elements and quirky, sort of, as you said, postmodern mm. or metafictive devices mm. uh, from 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 fiction film, and and use it to enrich the mixture and make it more kind of provocative. Mm. But how, how does this fit in with the idea that during times of strife, people sort of gravitate more towards escapism? And you know, so you have you know, obviously we're seeing a lot of fantasy films and and superhero movies and things like that. But but at the same time, there's this appetite for reality and reality television, obviously, and documentaries. How how do you think those two things fit together? Well, do well, I think some of the documentaries are so fantastical; they're practically weirder than I mean, something like the Queen of Versailles and the way that family behaves. That's uh, first of all, you know, practically the richest family in America, and then kind of goes down the tubes. And the 
biggest house in America stands there unused. And, and the extraordinary scene where uh, the wife, after the meltdown, goes around sympathising with sack workers, wearing this extraordinary sort of playboy <laughs> cleavage outfit. And you think, what world do these people live in? And if you put that in a fiction film, you'd think, oh, that was overplayed. Right. Um, yeah. um, things like that. I mean, a documentary, you, obviously you're struck more by the astonishing in a documentary just because it's true um, than you are in a fiction mm. film. And I think actually, because so many of the, the cinemas and the multiplexes are so dominated by these sort of superhero films and rebooted franchises mm. and kind of known things, there's there's a discerning audience out there that's that's hungry for something more than just that. This mm. it's kind of documentary suits a kind of count, need for counter programming, which I think is growing, and I think distributors are starting to recognise it. We're seeing films where you know it's it's always been a kind of truism truism of the industry that your main core audiences are eighteen to twenty four year olds who like explosions are mostly male and stuff like that. Well, I think the success in fiction terms of films like um, the best exotic Marigold Hotel and you know films that appeal to older voters, mm. old not voters, older viewers. <laughs> Um, has shown that there are, you know, there's there's a significant audience out there who wants something more than just, you know, watching stuff get blown up, and uh, and documentary is very well positioned to to serve those needs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, uh, you know, all sorts of different ways, you know, and also I mean, even even they can, you know, the, the you mentioned earlier, you know, the success of concert films like Justin Bieber and the recent Katy mm-hmm. Perry documentary, you know, I mean, they're sort of concert films, but you know, people, you know, young people want to see that stuff too. It's it's it's. I think there's a recognition it's diversity, I and mean, it's, it's it's another kind of um, string to the bow mm-hmm. that they can offer audiences. And do you think it's important that? that they're seen in the cinema. I mean, obviously, you know, reality TV is, you know, obviously TV-based. And you have, as you mentioned, Leslie, you know, uh, channels like BBC4, which show sort of endless streams of documentaries. But how important do you think it is that these sorts of films do make it into the cinema and, and are seen there? I, I, I think I think if any film is rich enough or multifaceted enough, you're much better watching it in the kind of total immersion environment of a cinema rather than sort of... Uh, watching it on a computer screen or a TV where you can wander in and out and lose interest. And I mean, the ideal format, the ideal documentary in quotes format uh, for the computer is the kind of YouTube clip, which, which is another reason people are hooked on mm. documentaries. I mean, those are tiny little mm. fizzy 15 second pieces of reality uh, that people are crazy about. Mm. I mean, it's one of the big cultural phenomena of the time and documentaries, you could say, especially the sort of post structural post-ironic post-modern documentaries we're getting are very much a kind of extended form of that but how much of it do you think is just voyeurism i mean when it when you come to things like queen of Versailles, where you're you know it's a bit like the osbournes you sort of just get an insight into these people's everyday life i mean it's okay it's more broadly about you know the, the highs and lows of of this rich family mm-hmm. but you also see a lot of their daily domestic life and you know things that you think really are you know maybe on that line of are we just do we just like prying into people's personal lives well they're very much willing willing to they, they signed release forms and said go ahead and pry and you know the a, a canny documentary maker makes sure they have final cut and not the subject themselves you know so um there's been many cases of films where uh the subjects of documentaries have taken some rather serious exception to the final portrait offered but, you know, um, I think it makes a much more interesting film. I mean, you know, you have to be a bit of an exhibitionist. And clearly, 
Um, clearly, Jackie Siegel is a bit of an exhibitionist, otherwise she wouldn't wear the the, the, the cleavage revealing yeah. decollete, <laughs> decollete yeah, enhancing yeah. poochy dresses that she does. Although I actually rather liked her by the end. I rather took to her. There was something rather endearing, even though she's rather naive and, and you know, she seemed like a simple hearted soul. And I think she really did, 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 did genuinely loves her husband and her kids, even though she kind of farms them out to nannies at every opportunity. But um, I, I, I'd actually rather took to her and stuff like that. And I, that's what's rather interesting about the film is that, you know, you seen this very um, multi-layered portrait I think they, they end up being very sympathetic and I think the best documentaries can do that can show people you know in all their richness and all their their multifacetedness um, in a way that's much more intricate and clever and and multi-layered than the conventional fiction films where mm-hmm. you get you know the very traditional anti-heroes mm-hmm. and heroes and it's like oh yawn you know but these are real people mm-hmm. and um of course it's still storytelling but it's it's done with a real kind of deft touch and a, a great editor can make all the difference between a good documentary and a bad documentary mm-hmm. and i think in the case of the queen of versailles it's, a, it's fantastic editing actually almost as much as it is the cinematography itself is is done with a real kind of artful eye i mean i think she the the director was came from a um uh, a photography background so i think you know I, that, that makes I, a big difference. I, I think i think sometimes the documentaries can be Critiqued for being uh, for the director being too uh, interventionist. I mean, there's the uh, semi-famous case of Searching for Sugar Man, mm. where it was quite clear that this um, rocker who had vanished without trace in America while being famous in South Africa had, in fact, not vanished. He had a couple of successful tours. There was a big history that was left out in order to make it appear yeah. that he was this fascinating enigma who the filmmakers had hoisted from oblivion and represented to the world. Do you think we're going to see this trend continue? That there will be a, a continuing, growing appetite for for these sorts of films? I can't. I can't imagine why not. I, I wonder if actually in a few years' time, five, ten years' time, where the, the word documentary won't disappear from the vocabulary, and and fiction films and documentaries will have so interbred and interrelated um, that that it's a continuous spectrum rather than any, any there being any sharp divide. In fact, I don't think there's any sharp divide now. Mm. But we still talk of them as separate uh, genres. But um, I, I think they will kind of come together in a strange way. No, I entirely agree. And I think, as you made a, a very interesting and intelligent point about YouTube, um, and I think one of the things that's driving the popularity of, of documentary, although I completely agree, and I'm old school like you guys, I'd rather watch a movie in a, in a cinema in quiet with no one else playing with their phone next to me or anything like that. At the same time, I think the popularity of handheld devices, documentary and digital filmmaking particularly lends itself very well to like watching things on tablets and on phones and so I think yeah. if anything um, we're going to see an increase of that because it's it's you know watching the Avengers on an iPad is just not really the same as seeing it in the cinema with full on um, you know sound and you know massive speakers but I don't think you really lose that much from watching the Queen of Versailles on a on an iPad or a laptop. You know, I think it, if anything, it's probably its flaws are less visible. Sometimes you sort of see, given the variability of digital projection, sometimes you sort of films look really but, awful. But, but at the same at the same time, there's something sort of fascinatingly contagious and and as I said, immersive about being with a group of people and everyone's jaws are dropping at the same time when oh, some course. preposterous series of apparently true events, as in the imposter or searching for Sugar Man, is is taking place. I mean, that's a special kind of experience too. That's true. I think of all cinemas is always more pleasurable for us to see it but I think there's a generation that's coming up that's used to seeing things in kind of more atomized environments mm-hmm. of just watching them on, on a handheld device and their experience of sharing it is like going LOL on the, the yeah. comment yeah. box underneath it and sort of you know <laughs> they have a more virtual sense of, of communion yeah. 
with uh, with other audience members and stuff like that. It's just a sure shift. But I think um, um, uh, these kind of, you know, how we kind of imbibe films is just a different sort of story. But I think my point is mainly that I think documentary suits these kind of new formats very well because uh, digital cinema filmmaking suits those formats well. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Um, my thanks to Leslie Felprin and Nigel Andrews, and thanks to you for listening. Queen of Versailles is in UK cinemas from September the 7th. The Arts Podcast was produced by Nicholas Spencer. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.